been in a series based out of the Psalm 23, and it's entitled, I'm Going Through It. And most people look at the psalm from that key statement, the Lord is my shepherd, and, and that anchors everything. But the focus that we've taken is from that statement in verse 4 of Psalm 23, where it says, The Lord is my shepherd, and even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. That whole thought, I'm walking through it. And we can either have an attitude with all that's going on in our lives, not just in this COVID situation, but other times in our lives where a lot happens, unexpected things. We can have an attitude, oh, I'm going through it. Or we can have the attitude, I am going through it. And this morning is the final message in this series. And it's entitled, Surely Goodness and Mercy. And it comes from the final statement, the final verse of this wonderful psalm. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Some of you are more familiar with the translation, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. But the most accurate is that concept that God's goodness, God's mercy, God's loving kindness is actually pursuing you. You're not chasing it. God's saying, I just want to pour out my goodness. I want to pour out my mercy. I want to pour out my loving kindness onto you in your life and in your circumstance. And I love that generosity of God. And it's spoken that this is for a lifetime. It's not just for a fleeting moment. It's not just when you've got your act together and there's nothing going wrong and you're kind of doing everything right. It's in every aspect of your life, God's goodness, God's mercy, God's loving kindness pursuing you. The concept of goodness here is actually God's will coming together in your life. And last week we looked at the topic of He leads me, He guides me. And you can go back and watch that because it's a great message about some key principles of just getting God's will sorted in your life and resting in the confidence that God's got you. He will lead you. He will guide you. But this term goodness is that God's purpose is beginning to be outworked in your life. And I think perhaps the Apostle Paul was reflecting on this concept when in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, he says, For we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. This incredible ability of God to take the fragments of our lives, the good things, the bad things, the things that were done to us, the things we did to ourselves. And God says, if you just keep loving me, if you just keep saying, God, I want your best. He said, I'll take all of those things, weave them together, and you'll experience my goodness. You'll experience my will, my purpose coming together in your life and bringing goodness into your life. The word mercy or unfailing love is actually tied to the covenant love of God. And it speaks more of His commitment to us than our commitment to Him. And I'm not diminishing the importance of us being committed to the Lord and to His ways. But often we feel we hang in by our commitment to Him. When in fact God says, no, I'm committed to you and I've got you. I've made a covenant relationship with you. 
I'm convinced, Paul says again in Romans 8 verse 38, that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. And so God's goodness, God's mercy, God's loving kindness is pursuing you. He wants to pour it out on you and into your circumstance. So the psalmist says with great celebration, your goodness, speaking of God, and your unfailing love is pursuing me all the days of my life. And I've got a question. I just want to pivot this a little bit. What is following you? Yes, God's goodness, God's mercy, God's unfailing love, as the psalmist has declared. But what else is following you? God has promised that His goodness and His covenant love will follow you. So take a moment and kind of look at your life and go, what else is following me? And the thought is highlighted by something that Jesus said in Mark 16 and verse 17. These signs will follow those who believe. And then he begins to list a signs of miraculous things. But I want you to catch this concept. These signs will follow those who believe. Signs point to something. When you on a drive, on a walk, and you're looking for signs, they point you to a direction or they point you to a monument or to a building so you can find it. And the question is, what are the signs in your life pointing towards? And it's worth taking a moment just to reflect on that. What are the signs in my life? Because these signs follow what I believe. Based on what you believe, there are signs following you that point towards what you believe about God, about others, about your future, about your past and how God has dealt with that. Jesus connects this idea of signs and faith together. And I want to make a suggestion, and I say this with gentleness, but if the pattern of your life is confusion, if the pattern of your life is constant conflict with others, if the pattern of your life is broken relationships, if the pattern of your life is financial crisis or self-doubt, or if the pattern of your life is a lack of purpose, and notice I stress the word pattern, not just a one-off, not just an occasional, the pattern, a repeating pattern, then perhaps what you believe in about God, about yourself, is incorrect. And this morning is an opportunity to realign that and so I'm actually believing that God's goodness, God's mercy, God's covenant love is pursuing me. And it's going to transform my life and my circumstance because that's what's following me. God says, and I love it through the prophet Jeremiah to a group of people whose lives are in complete and utter chaos because of an enemy invading and causing terrible things to happen in the nation. Jerusalem's fallen. People have been taken into captivity. And God still speaks into that pain and chaos. And He says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And I want you to catch this. And I want you to just maybe... Repeat it, declare it, put it in the chat. God's got plans for you. God's got a plan for you. And you go, but I messed up here and I messed up. Yeah, notice it says plans. No matter where you are, the minute you begin to say, God, I need your plan, He's got a plan. It didn't catch Him by surprise. 
and He can move you forward into it. And the plan is to prosper you, to bless you, to give you a future and a hope. It's again this concept, God's mercy, God's loving kindness, pursuing you and bringing blessing and fullness and purpose into your life. I love Ephesians 2.10, which says, we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Notice this concept of God having plans for us. From eternity past, He knew you would be here. He knew you'd be on the planet. He knew that He could impart something into your life, a plan, a purpose, a destiny for your future, to give you a future and a hope. And I love this thought. He created us anew in Christ Jesus. Because many of us can look back at the past, wrong choices, sinful choices, choices that produce brokenness, whether it's in our life or in the lives of others or both. And God says, I give you a brand new start every single day because you are in Christ Jesus. He is the God of redemption. He turns things around. So what signs are following your life? Because they actually identify what you believe. What signs are following your life? What are the things in your life pointing towards in terms of what you believe? Listen to this in Titus chapter 2, and I'm reading verse 1 and then verse 10. But as for you, speaking to Titus, who's the pastor, promote the kind of living that reflects right teaching. So right teaching produces right living. Right living is a reflection of right teaching, and it's based on what you believe. And then he says, then you will make the teaching about our God and Savior attractive in every way. He's saying if you get right teaching, you align yourself with the truth of God's Word, then it produces something in your life that other people can see. It becomes a sign of what you believe and of what God is doing in your life, that His goodness, His mercy is pursuing you and imparting things into your life. You see, everything about us says something about what we believe. James when he talks about faith and works in James chapter 2 and verse 14, poses a really good question. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? He's saying what you believe should produce a sign, an evidence of what you said you believed. There should be a sign tied to what you believe of the blessing of God, of choices that are right before God. And I've just selected a few that I'm just going to touch on that I think are great signs of people who are following Jesus, whose goodness and mercy is pursuing you, overtaking you, whose plan and purpose, His plans for your life beginning to be outworked. These are some great signs. First of all, a follower of Jesus should he point to the sign of extravagant worship in their lives. And I know at the moment, even when we gather, we're actually not allowed to sing out loud. The musos can because they are socially distanced and all the rest of it and all the right precautions. But worship is not just about singing. Singing is a great expression and many of us are missing it so much. And that's why right now as a church, we're working on the re-entry and doing it right and safe and all the rest of it. 
But worship is something that comes first from the heart and then fills your mouth and becomes an expression. Worship is not only words, it's lifestyle. Psalm 66 and verse 2, sing about the glory of His name. You can do that at home. You can do it in your car. Tell the world how glorious He is. Notice again that this worship becomes a declaration, a sign to the world that you're in love with Jesus. An extravagant worship flows from a conviction that God is awesome and that God is great, even if things are not perfect in your circumstance. That God is awesome, that God is great, that God is loving. And the overflow of that becomes worship. David was a great worshiper. And it says that he was ceremonially dressed in the priest's linen and danced with great abandon before God. Now, I'm not a great dancer, and I'm not sure me dancing with great abandonment uh, in a priestly garment would be something you'd want to witness at all. So we'll spare you that. But it's more about the heart condition. There was an openness, an abandonment in God's presence before people that people said, there's a man that loves God, speaking of David. Jesus, in a conversation with a Samaritan woman said, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. Just that open-hearted sincerity of coming before God. So the first sign of a follower of Jesus, extravagant worship. The second one, overcoming faith. Faith can be seen by what we do, the way we live our lives. And I love the story that's recorded in uh, three of the Gospels of the man who was paralyzed and was extremely ill and his friends brought him to Jesus. And there was such a large crowd around the house they couldn't get in. So they climbed up on the roof and ripped the roof off and lowered him in. And notice this, it says, Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven you and it resulted in healing. I want you to notice, he could see their faith. Now, faith is often something we say is private, we hold it in it, and it can't always be demonstrated. But sometimes faith is demonstrated by your desperation to lean into God, to seek God, by actions of faith that don't always make sense to others, but the conviction I've heard from God, I sense the leading of the Holy Spirit, and people can see your faith actions. James again says, use your head. Do you suppose for a moment that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hands? And so again, what sign is there in your life that you are believing God for something, for something more, for something greater, for a future and a hope that He's promised you? So extravagant worship, overcoming faith. Here's one that's difficult for all of us, gracious forgiveness towards others. Ephesians 4 and verse 31 to 32 says, lay aside bitter words, temper tantrums, revenge, profanity and insults, but instead be kind and affectionate towards one another. Has God graciously forgiven you then graciously forgive one another in the depths of Christ's love. Now, I know none of you have ever had bitter words, ever had a temper tantrum, hopefully not profanity, or 
made insults about others. And he said, you can do that, but it's a sign that you don't actually believe in forgiveness. Because if you believe that you've been forgiven, it's a little bit easier to forgive others. It's never easy to forgive. But if you have a conviction, I am a forgiven person. I understand forgiveness that is extended to me without strings attached. Because that's what Paul is appealing to. Then he says, then forgive others. A person who forgives is a person who understands that they've received mercy. And Ephesians 2 and verse 4 says, But God still loved us with such great love, and He's so rich in compassion and mercy. Isn't that an incredible thing? So often the picture that is painted in, in, our, in our world around us, that God is mean, that God is angry, that God is stingy, and actually contradicts the Word of God. God's Word says He's rich in compassion and mercy. And I feel there's people right now watching this and you're struggling with guilt and you're struggling with shame and you're struggling with the brokenness that comes from that. And you're asking the question, can God, will God forgive me? Well, I want to tell you He will. And you can receive it right now in the name of Jesus because He is rich in compassion and mercy towards you. He's a God who delights in forgiveness. So receive forgiveness now in the name of Jesus. Extravagant worship, overcoming faith, gracious forgiveness, cheerful generosity is my fourth one. Second Corinthians 9, 7, let giving flow from your heart, not from a sense of religious duty. Let it spring up freely from the joy of giving, all because God loves hilarious generosity, joyful generosity. And he's not talking about giving being an emotional thing because earlier on he says, each one must purpose in their own heart what they're going to give. And giving is not just financial, that's an important aspect. It's other things, words of encouragement, little acts of kindness. Generosity is a lifestyle. It's something that can be exhibited and demonstrated. It's a sign that manifests itself in a person's life in so many ways. It's not an emotional thing, it's a decision, but it then becomes something that becomes something that frees your heart, that brings liberty to your heart and blessing to others. If I can be quite blunt, low-level Christianity, low-level thinking seeks to be blessed. What do I need to do to be blessed? Forgetting that God says, my goodness, my mercy, my loving kindness is pursuing you. I'm pouring it out on you. And low-level thinking goes, what do I need to do to get blessed? High-level thinking as a follower of Jesus says, what can I do to be a blessing? I'm already blessed. God has already forgiven me. There's so much goodness in my life. Now, what can I do to be a blessing? Because that what was prophesied and declared over Abraham. And we inherit this promise. He says, I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. The second last one, authentic encouragement. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, encourage the hearts of your fellow believers. Support one another, just as you've already been doing. Discouragement is something that is unique to human beings. It's universal. Everybody gets it. 
Some struggle with it more than others. Sometimes there's medical stuff attached to that. And so I want to be careful and kind and what I'm saying to this. But if you're experiencing discouragement, God can speak into that. God can lift you, but He also says to us, we need to lift each other. We need to encourage each other. Hebrews 10, 24 says, discover creative, way, creative ways to encourage others and to motivate them towards acts of compassion, doing beautiful works as expressions of love. That whole thing of just encouraging each other with words, with kindness, with a little gesture. And one of the things I discovered, and that's why I entitled this authentic encouragement. Don't just say to somebody, you're great. Right behind this camera now is Stuart Lamont. And he's going to be a little bit embarrassed, but you won't see him. He'll just, uh, there'll be an added glow of light that'll come from behind the camera. But Stuart behind the scenes is coordinating so much stuff in this live stream, week in and week out, doing stuff behind the scenes. And he's just exercising a gift. And I want to tell you, Stuart, not just that you're great, but you are a good organizer. You follow through well. We love your emails and the communication that come from you. And I wanted to just say that one as a shout out and a thank to the whole production team. But if you're specific in your encouragement, it does something in somebody's heart. I love what George Adams said, encouragement is oxygen to the soul. And so the signs following somebody who really believes in God's goodness, God's mercy is extravagant worship, overcoming faith, gracious forgiveness towards others, cheerful generosity, authentic encouragement. And finally, enthusiastic serving. Psalm 100 says, serve the Lord with a long, sad face, grump and complain and moan as much as you can and demonstrate to everybody how you inconvenience by helping them. No, it doesn't say that. It says, serve the Lord with joy and gladness. Serve with gladness. And people who serve with joy and gladness and not out of compulsion do so because they believe they are called to the greatest cause that anybody can be committed to on planet Earth, the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, serve with an attitude, but make sure it's a good one. The greatest cause is the cause of Jesus Christ. Paul in Romans 12 and verse 11 says this, and I've actually been so challenged by the verse all this week as I've put the sermon together and, and hopefully speaking encouragement into your life. Be enthusiastic to serve the Lord. Keeping your passion towards Him boiling hot. Radiate with the glow of the heart and let Him fill you with excitement as you serve Him. And so I want to encourage you with these words. Surely, Goodness and mercy, God's goodness, God's mercy, God's covenant love, His loving kindness is pursuing you. And it's for all the days of your life, if you have made the Lord your shepherd. And I want to ask you that question. Have you made the Lord Jesus Christ your shepherd? He loves you. He laid down His life for you. He rose from the dead. So the moment you say yes to Him, He can bring the full power of His resurrected life, His forgiveness, His mercy, His kindness, restore plan and purpose to your life. He's just waiting to do it, but He's waiting for you to say yes to Him.
Romans 10 and verse 9 says, if you publicly declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will experience salvation.